Hey, this is Chad Eddy with the Semp Health Podcast. Today's episode is Chapter 3A of The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. Uh, This is where I go through the book, The Big Leap, chapter by chapter and give some insights and some notes on the book. I encourage you to go out and get the book yourself, either in audio form or on paper, paperback or digital. Um, It's a great book. So here's the first part of chapter three. So this is chapter three of The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And this chapter is longer than all of the other chapters. In fact, I think, uh, if I looked right, if I if I judged accurately, I think this chapter is longer than the next three chapters combined or the, the remaining chapters combined. So um, I think I'm gonna do this in either a two or a three-parter. I think only a two or three-parter. <laughs> Might even go to four, but we'll see, uh, we'll see how, how that works. But, um, this is sort of more the, the nuts and bolts of what the big leap is all about, what upper limiting is all about, what uh, the the zone of excellence, the zone of genius, the zone of excellence, the zone of competence, the zone of incompetence, and how to stay in that zone of genius, get in that zone of genius, and to stay in that zone of genius. So um, he starts out by saying that when he was young, learning how to drive, his driving instructor told him that the key to the art of driving is benign vigilance, which is paying keen but relaxed attention, keen but relaxed attention to what your car and the other cars on the road are doing. So um, actually just recently, my my son just on Saturday, two days ago, my son said, dad, is it easy to drive? And I said, does it look easy? He said, yeah, it looks really easy. And I said, well, that's because I'm so good a driver that I make it look easy. But no, I said to him, I said to him, do you think it's easy to walk? He said, yeah. I said, have you ever, have you always thought it was easy to walk? He said, I don't know. I said, what about playing piano? Because he's learning how to play piano. I said, what about playing like three blind mice? Is it easy to do that? He said, yeah. I said, do you remember when you didn't know how to do that? He said, yeah. I said, so you had to learn and practice and practice, right? But now you can do it without even really thinking about it. He said, yeah. So I said, so it's easy for me to drive, but I still am very aware of what's going on around me. It's benign vigilance, paying keen but relaxed attention to what my car and the other cars are doing on the road. Um, and uh, anyway, getting back to Gay Hendricks, he says, your journey to the zone of genius is like that. Benign vigilance. Uh, you You want to be relaxed, but also able to spot your upper limit behaviors, your upper limit behaviors. And we talked about that in the last chapter. And he talked about some of the upper limit behaviors like, um, oh, I'm not sure if it goes into the, oh, it does. Uh, he'll talk about some upper limit behaviors in this chapter. Sorry. Um, so that, so that you can easily spot them so that you can stop upper limiting yourself. And that's what he says, talks about next is using upper limit, the upper limits that we, we put on ourselves as a verb and saying, um, you're upper limiting yourself or I'm, I was upper limiting myself or I caught myself in the act of upper limiting myself. It's something that you're doing to crimp the flow of positive energy. And he uses that, that terminology. He uses that sort of language, crimping the flow and now I often think of a water hose, you know, a garden hose and, uh, and how if you want your, the flow of water to stop, you can crimp the hose and positive energy 
is out there. Positive energy wants to come to you and wants to get to you. But there are ways that you, you and I crimp that flow of positive energy. And we don't maybe mean to do it. We don't maybe um, want to, but we do. Um, And there are a bunch of reasons why we maybe think that we're not worthy of positive energy maybe we think we've we've received our share of positive energy now the positive energy can go to someone else or you know maybe we think that there's a a lack of positive energy out there and we we take too much then other people won't get enough which which is all all bs you know it's not true positive energy is is limitless if god is real and he is god is positive energy the positive energy made this world made the earth and all that is within it and and maintains it and sustains it positive energy is out there and we can access it but there are uh, these different ways that he says I think three or four different ways that we crimp the flow of uh, of positive energy so the first one is worrying worrying do you ever find yourself worrying I know I find myself worrying sometimes um, I don't worry as much as other people. I have a, I have a sort of relaxed, sort of easygoing attitude, but I certainly get into the anxiety and my stomach, um, churns within me and, um, and sort of that stressed out kind of mode. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the diabetes that I now enjoy, um, sorry, I shouldn't be sarcastic, but uh, I think probably sarcasm is another, uh, upper limit problem but um diabetes that i have i think is a a result of stress and worry and anxiety and stuff like that so it's no stranger to me but but he says it's useful worrying is useful but only when it concerns a problem that you can actually do something about so he talks about like if you leave your coffee maker on at home and or your stove on at home and you're driving down the road and it suddenly occurs to you, oh shoot, I left my stove on. I don't want to burn down the house. I better get back to it right now so I can turn the stove off so that everybody's safe. You know, then worrying can be useful because you can actually do something about it. But worrying is not useful when um, it it involves a problem that you can't do anything about. Uh, he says, otherwise it's a sign that you're upper limiting yourself. And he says, almost none of your worry thoughts have anything to do with reality. I heard somebody else say that worrying is, is being, when you worry, it's like you're being a fortune teller. You're telling the future and it's all bad. <laughs> when you worry, it's, it's because you think that you can tell what is going to happen in the future and it ain't good. It ain't nothing good. So that's why you worry. Um, so when things are going well and you're feeling really good, you can always bring yourself down with worry thoughts. And a lot of the times, that's what we do. When things are going well, we're like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this good. I better worry about something. And we don't do it consciously, of course. You know, if, if it was conscious, we wouldn't do it. But subconsciously, there's something inside of us that says, uh, you know, you're getting too high here. You're getting too up. You're feeling too good. You better bring yourself back down. How can you do that? I know worry thoughts. That that tends to bring you down a lot. Um, and just to be aware of that, the benign vigilance of of that upper limit 
problem or that upper minute behavior. All right, the second one is criticism and blame. Do you ever find yourself criticizing and blaming others? He says, money arguments, money arguments have nothing to do with money. The real issue is not money, but emotional dynamics. So criticism and blame, you know, has to do with relationships. And one of the, one of the most intimate relationships that you'll ever have is marriage. And in marriage, money problems erupt a lot. But money problems, he says, have very little to do with money. And most of our money issues have to do with upper limit problems not money itself it's emotional dynamics and blaming and criticizing are like a hypnotic trance um they 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 take our attention away from what's really at issue and they make us think that the only thing at issue is is uh what we're blaming and criticizing about criticizing and blaming are addictions that destroy intimacy you can be addicted to criticizing you can you can go th- through withdrawal if you decide to stop criticizing you can go through withdrawal and have withdrawal symptoms from stopping criticizing um he says you need to become a keen observer of all the critical statements that come to your head or fly out of your mouth and then he talks about deflection deflecting positive energy by criticizing yourself so criticism and blame, it doesn't always only have to do with other people. Criticism and blame is a upper limit behavior when also when you're criticizing yourself. You're like, oh, I'm such a dummy. Oh, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I'm no good at that. Oh, that sucks. I, I could do much better. It's, it's an upper limit problem. Because when you feel good about yourself, you're like, oh, I shouldn't feel good about myself. That's really, that's really uh, you know, conceited or prideful or arrogant or... Um, what's that other word that I'm thinking of? Whatever. You know, we think I shouldn't feel good about myself. I need to criticize myself. I need to bring myself down a few pegs. Or we think I'll bring myself down before somebody else gets a chance to say it. Right? He goes into about deflection. He goes into uh, golf golfers. He says golf golfers are a great example of deflection. He says, uh, he goes into this example where he and his, his client were out golfing on a foursome with uh, two other really good golfers he said but the other two golfers he said were a great case study in deflection because he'd say hey that was a great hit and the other golfer would say yeah well you know it was okay I guess you know it wasn't really great it wasn't really strong he'd say you know oh wow you you really got that down the fairway that was that was amazing how you did that he says well you know even a squirrel gets a nut every now and then you know it's just sort of this like yeah well Instead of saying, wow, thank you. Yeah, I feel really good about that hit. They would always deflect, always deflect, always deflect. And we do that. And a lot of us do that. We criticize ourselves and we deflect. Um, we deflect instead of feeling the positive energy. Instead of when somebody says something good about us, instead of saying thank you and feeling that positive energy, feeling that pride, feeling that that good feeling about ourselves we're like yeah no you know i'm not usually that good so it's it's just a lucky round and we deflect and we criticize ourselves so he says create space to feel and appreciate natural good feelings and he says natural good feelings because it's not when somebody when somebody compliments us 
it's not uh, an artificial high. It's not brought on by sugar or by drugs or by caffeine. It's a natural good feelings. And he says it could expand your tolerance for things going well in your life. And that's what we all need to do. We need to expand our tolerance for things going well. We need to expand our tolerance for making more money. We need to expand our tolerance for feeling good about ourselves. We need to expand our tolerance for um, for people feeling good about us. We need to expand our tolerance for our marriage marriage is going well. We need to expand our tolerance for for God to show us how he values us. Expand your tolerance for things going well in your life. The third way that he says we upper limit or uh, upper limit behavior is conflicts and arguments. And it sounds like criticism and blame, but it's it takes a different slant. It, it's conflicts and arguments. He says arguments are one of the best ways to bring yourself down when you've hit your upper limit. When you feel really good, when you feel like on top of the world, the best way to bring things down is by start, starting an argument with somebody and usually somebody in your family, usually your spouse, your loved one. You drop back down into your zone of competence or your zone of excellence and argue with somebody. And he says arguments are caused by two people or two nations racing down to occupy the victim position in a relationship. You know, it's this person saying, well, you did this and that hurt me. And the other person saying, well, I might have done that, but that's just because you did this and that hurt me. And the other person says, well, that's not as bad as what you did to me. It, it hurt me. And then the other person says, well, I wouldn't be like that if you weren't such a me- crazy, mean person. You know, it's two people racing down to occupy the position of victim in a relationship. He says, in order to, to solve that, we need to have a de- different thought about relationships. You know, we often think that a marriage or a relationship is 50-50. We think, okay, you bring 50% to the table and I'll bring 50% to the table. And he says, no, that's not how it is at all. Because if you're not giving 100% to your relationship, then you're, you're, um, you're robbing the other person of yourself. You're robbing the other person of your part in the relationship. It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. A relationship is caused by 200%. And if each person isn't bringing 100%, to the relationship, then you don't make that 200%. And you can't blame the other person because they can't bring any more than 100% to the relationship. If if you and I have a relationship and I bring 100% and you bring 80%, well, it's not my responsibility to fill that extra 20 because I can't. I can't bring one more than 100%. If I bring 80%, you bring 100%. It's not your responsibility to fill that 20. You can't. Both of us need to bring 100% in order to make up that 200%. And that's what a relationship is. It's 200%. Uh, he says you can't apportion out uh, 100% of the responsibility between two people. Each person is responsible for 100%. Nothing less than 100% will work. Nobody can take more than 100%. So I can't demand more than all that you have to give. I can't demand more because I can't, I can't give it as much myself. He said a really crazy thing happened in law, in, in a law court at one point, where um, somebody apportioned out blame. They said, okay, if there's 100% blame, then you're at blame for 82% and you're at blame 18%. Well, how can you even measure that? How can you even go there? You can't, you can't apportion out blame that way. Um, a relationship is 200%. If two people aren't each bringing 100%, then you don't have a full relationship. So 
we need to step out of the victim position and take 100% of the responsibility and see our marriage and businesses flourish. Flourish. Sorry. Flourish. The next way that we upper limit ourselves, the next upper limit behavior is getting sick or hurt. When things are going well, people tend to get sick or hurt themselves. And he says, I'm not saying that every time somebody gets sick, it's because of an upper limit problem. Sometimes people get headaches because they get headaches. But he says, we have a really uncanny ability to get sick or get hurt, to take ourselves down from a high, high flow of energy, a positive flow of energy. He says, think back to the times that you've gotten sick or hurt. Did they come during or just after a big win or a good time? Examine everything that brings you pain and suffering as a potential upper limit symptom. It says, so many of us don't look at the effects of our mind and our emotions on our physical health. So headache and back pains could be warning signs that something is out of integrity in our lives. He goes into a, an illustration, and I'll end with this for this session. He goes into an illustration where uh, he talks about... Um, oh, actually, it's in the next section, but that's okay. He talks about a, a guy who... Um, he was having an affair with his secretary at lunchtime, you know, every now and then. And those we, those afternoons that he had the affair... <laughs> where he did the deed, did the act, um, he would get massive headaches. So he called uh, the author, Gay Hendricks, he called him in and said, um, I'm getting these headaches and I don't want to get them anymore. And and so he says, well, what's going on with your life? And through counseling, through whatever, the guy comes clean. He says, well, I've been having this these affairs. He says, well, how often do you get these headaches? He's like, oh, wow, it kind of coincides when... To when I have this these actions and stuff and and he says well there's something out of integrity so he he stopped doing that he changed his life around he came clean with his wife he stopped the affairs and the headaches went away and that happens a lot I mean the Bible even talks about that um, I was just reading I think Psalm 34 or somewhere thereabouts <laughs> David's talking about um, when while my sin was before me my body was wasting away and that's you know, it's, we're out of integrity, but it affects our physical health. And that's my whole thing with SEMP health. The interconnectedness of spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical health is a real thing. And we need to look at uh, the effects of our unhealth in all four ways and how those are affecting our, our other, you know, if, if we have an unhealth or dis-ease in our spiritual health, then it's going to affect all four, all three other ways. If we have dis-ease in our emotional health, it's going to affect all other ways. So in order to improve in any of these ways, we need to improve in all of these ways. So anyways, that's where I'm going to end today. I'm going to uh, continue on chapter three. Let's see, I got a couple more pages of notes here. So I'll probably just do two, two sessions. So I'll, I'll finish up next session. But um, yeah, it's a good, good book. The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I'll talk to you next time.